I'm doing real good. How are you, Hava? You know, today has been a, a journey already. I just woke up with a really shitty headache today. A really shitty headache, and we we're out of ibuprofen, and I couldn't find my heating pad, which I wanted to do to relax the pain in my neck. It was just a lot. But then my beloved boyfriend, friend of the show, my boyfriend, found the heating pad and got me ibuprofen, and then I laid in bed for a couple of hours and I feel better now after some extensive recuperation. But I feel like my whole day is is thrown off, you know, because it's like I started it and then I stopped it. You know, it's as if I slept until just now, 1.30 in the afternoon, which would feel really strange to me. Oh, that would be so amazing. That sounds great. To I me. mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying it wouldn't be amazing, but it's just unusual. Like it makes the day feel weird. Well, I will try to throw your day back on. Oh, thank you. How are you, Michael? What's your day been like? What's your week been like? You know, uh, had a sandwich from the local cafe that we have. Mm -hmm. What kind of sandwich? Oh, it's a BLT on an Asiago bagel. That's kind of my, uh, <sighs> that's my go-to. I have literally don't think I've ever eaten a BLT in my life. Really? Yeah, because I don't like raw tomato. Well, even a farm fresh? Oh my god. I'm so You're so sick. sick of that question. I have farmed, and you know this about me, have professionally farmed for multiple years of my life. So yes. do you think I've ever tried a farm fresh tomato? Uh I I think yes. you have. You just what about cherry tomatoes? Yes, every every tomato I have tried because people are always like this. It's just like when I first came out as queer. Oh, have you tried? Are you sure? You just haven't met the right person yet. I was confused. I thought you meant people were asking you about tomatoes when you came out <laughs> as queer. Yeah, I've tried. I've put so much effort into trying to learn to love raw tomatoes because everyone talks about how raw tomatoes are the best and how can you not like something that's so good but i don't and i have given it ample chances of various kinds to win me over so i've never had a blt but it's conceptually it sounds like the kind of delicious snack i would make but it's just poisoned by the addition of like a slimy little goop thingy so there's no context where a raw tomato is good to you, not even the, not even surrounded by other ingredients. There's like some some uh, borderline stuff like fresh salsa, you know, where the tomato is like basically raw, it's just had lime juice on it, and it's like the lime cilantro onion. What is it called? Pico. That's okay. I feel like you don't really taste the tomato that much in it. Although you, I don't know. You know, there's some borderline stuff like that, but ninety percent of the time, yeah, no, no raw tomatoes. In this life. Okay, that's fine. I would love to love raw tomatoes. I'm not like satisfied with disliking them, but it is a, a visceral and deep-seated distaste. That's okay. You don't have to eat tomatoes. You don't ever have to have a BLT. It's probably for the best, you know? But for you, it was delicious. Oh, for me, it was great. Been doing some clearing for a little mini orchard we're going to put up. Ooh, what kind of trees are you going to plant? Oh, some apples. Couple of apples. Oh, five apples. cute! I love a little apple orchard. Yep. Have you yep. picked the varieties of apple already? We got on it late, so we went to this website that we used to order them, and we just ordered five of what they had available. Five weird Great. varieties. One of them Great. was a like a Slavic or Russian variety. Oh, so love a Slavic apple. Yeah, <laughs> same Slavic apple aficionado right here. 
Totally. Oh, yeah, we painted the porch, you know, painted, put up a skirt around the house. Thank goodness your house was walking around completely skirtless like a hussy. Grunge Girl's been very proud, rightfully so, of the work and has been sending upskirt photos to the whole family. That's cute. That's very cute. So, Michael. Yes. What have we gathered here today to speak about? Okay, remember that episode that we did where I mentioned how I'm afraid of fossils. Or no, I'm not afraid of fossils. I'm afraid of dinosaurs and large mammals. Um, I don't really remember that. We talked recently about giant sloths, I feel like. Right, right, right. It's not so much I'm afraid of getting eaten by them, although that is an aspect. It's more the fact that they existed to begin with is just existentially wrong. Right, it's fucked up. Yeah, and we had the discussion about how even though it's true that it happened, it doesn't mean that it isn't evil necessarily. (laughs) Sure. We talked about various uh, solutions to this problem, and I did bring up this one rabbi. And of course, this is uh, tangentially connected to the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory that Jews buried all the fossils to trick us into thinking the earth is older than it is. Yeah, that is a thing, apparently. And some Orthodox Jews say that God put the fossils there to test our faith. Anyway, I did bring up this rabbi from the turn of the century, Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz, who basically said, oh, the discovery of all these dinosaur fossils is like confirmation of Judaism because there were various epochs that existed before the current epoch that we're in. Like, maybe we're in the fourth. Right. Maybe, okay. Uh, who knows? I remember this. Anytime someone of any religion takes up the project of confirming their religion via science, I find that very annoying. It is a little weird. I mind it less when they use, like, particle physics. You know what I mean? Something about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Something about that makes it's a little bit more acceptable. I guess that there's a difference between confirming the big T truth of your religion and the little T truth. Like if you're trying to confirm that the Bible is an accurate telling of all events via science, that's really fucking annoying. If you're trying to confirm that like ultimately there is a unitary hyper consciousness that precedes all causes. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I'm down for that. The biological and paleontology kind of arguments do often deal with the small t stuff yeah you know that's already a non-issue in many uh you know approaches so right it's the particle physics leads to the big t stuff so one time we talked about fossils and how you're afraid of them yes and a listener texted and also left a message with their havruta saying we want more jewish dinosaurs great so I'm going to attempt to deliver. So this episode will be entitled Yentosaurus. Uh, I also saw something online, Schleposaurus. <laughs> Great, I'm in. Okay, but I will start with ancient rabbinic ideas around what we might call dinosaurs now. Okay, okay. great. Ancient rabbinic, quote, dinosaur ideas. So there's this paper called Rabbinic Paleontology, Jewish Encounters with Fossil Giants in Roman Antiquity. Oh, wow. Whoever wrote that paper is cool as hell. Alicia Fine and Stephen Fine 
wrote wow. this paper. Round of applause for coming up with cool fucking ideas. I don't know if these this is a couple or siblings or just coincidentally have the same last name, but there is a paper that they have with a quote of someone in medieval times from Tobias Cohen. He did write a influential encyclopedia called Maasetuvia, where basically, oh, there's this cool bone. Like, this is the bone of one of the giants. And it's really neato burrito. This is kind of in line with what they say in their book, The Bones of Giants, where they talk about how Greek and Roman pre-modern paleontologists found these big bones and thought that they belonged to giants. And even Josephus, the Jewish historian, has a passage where he talks about these bones and thinks that they're not really maybe like maybe they're human. He says that they're probably from giants, but he says they don't look like human bones. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that giants existed. You know, there's these biblical stories. Right. So we're talking about like the half human, half angel giants, like the Nephilim situation. Exactly. And there is this book, fragments of it have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls called The Book of Giants. So in the 20th century, people were able to figure out that this actually was a really ancient book. You know, there were copies of it around, but now it's confirmed that it's at least as old as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And this Book of Giants kind of goes more into the details about this Nephilim and these angels that were seduced by human ladies and gave birth to these giants and how God tried to give them a couple chances, but they still were being bad. And, you know, they didn't survive the flood as far as I understand. Got it. So there is the idea that there used to be giants and perhaps that these bones came from them. And there's both Jewish sources like the Book of Giants and Josephus, for example. Josephus, whose stance is they might be giants. (laughs) Well, yeah, they might be giants. (laughs) And there's also some Talmudic references to giants and giant bones. Okay. On Nita 24b. All I can think of is Steven Universe right now. Uh, There's a song about a giant woman. It's great. Don't worry about it. It is taught in a baraita that Abba Shal says the following, and some say Rabbi Yochanan said it. I used to be a grave digger. Once I ran after a deer and I entered the thigh bone of a corpse. And it was so large that I ran after the deer for three parsangs inside the thigh bone And although I did not reach the deer, the thigh bone did not end. When I came back and related this to the sages, they said to me, it was evidently the thigh bone of Og, king of Bashan, a known giant. Wow. So that is one story. In the next sugi, it says, it is likewise taught in a baraita that Abba Shal says, I used to be a grave digger. Once a burial cave opened up underneath where I was standing, and I found myself standing in the eye socket of a corpse until my nose. Oh. When I came back and told this to the sages, they said to me, it was evidently the eye of Absalom, another mythological giant. Oh, the same Absalom like David's son? That's the Absalom that I know about. I don't know. Absalom the giant. Let's find out. Hmm. No, must have been some other Absalom. I don't know. Huh. I feel like the phrase, I used to be a gravedigger at the beginning of the first story is not necessary. <laughs> like yeah. anyone can run after a deer at any time. Yeah, that is a little weird. What follows too is a discussion of this guy's height. 
is like, wait, isn't he like real short? And then someone's like, no, he's real tall. So it doesn't make sense that an eye socket would go all the way up to his nose. Right. I mean, even the shortest people that I've ever encountered, even human babies, even if a eye socket was up to a baby's nose, it would still be the largest human skull on record. Yeah, it would be a very uh, big skull. You know, I don't know. This could be all hyperbole, but... We have a bunch of now various Jewish sources that seem to point in the belief that there were big things that used to exist. Right. I mean, it seems like people were finding fossils and thinking, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Generally. Exactly. As yeah. people have since, since, well, I guess time immemorial, <laughs> which makes sense. I mean, there's stuff like fossilized dinosaur footprints. I'm sure if you saw a fossilized dinosaur footprint, you'd think... Damn, there's some fucked up shit out there that I don't even know about yet. The sages go on, and this may be connected to perhaps the bones that they're finding. I don't know for sure. They attribute it to giants, which are generally considered, you know, like bad creatures. But I wanted to read you this passage from Sanhedrin 38b. Uh, Rabbi Elezar says, The height of Adam, the first man, was from the ground until the firmament, as it states... Since the day that God created man upon the earth and from one end of heaven until the other. This is a quote from Deuteronomy where Moses was talking to the the Israelites. He uses words that seems to imply that perhaps Adam, the man, extended from one heaven to another. The Sukhi goes on. So Adam stood upon the earth and rose to the end of the heavens. Once Adam sinned, the Holy One, blessed be he, placed his hand on him and diminished him as it is stated, Mm. behind and before you have created me and laid your hand upon me. That's from Psalm 139, I believe. Okay. So Adam used to be really big. Mm -hmm. And -hmm. then when he fucked up, God shrunk him down to person size. Yeah, that's basically how it went down. What do you think of this, Hava? Do you think that maybe the Jewish scholars maybe thought that people were really big back then? And we've shrunken because of our sins have accumulated perhaps over time? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. It feels like the rabbinic idea that like people used to be cooler, more powerful, more virtuous, just generally more. Yeah. And we've sort of diminished as the generations have gone on is like pretty well established as part of the way they think about things. So it makes sense that that would apply to the physical dimension. And I've, you know, we already had a whole episode about the Phoenix and the Leviathan. Leviathan is right, like a very dinosaur-esque creature. It's a big-ass sea creature that we're all going to eat at the end of time after the apocalypse. Go listen to our Leviathan episode. So it feels like just the general idea that like there are horrors of a cosmic scale in the past of which we know not and can't comprehend because we are just little diminished people of the present seems like pretty accepted part of the rabbinic worldview so i feel like even if you came along and told them like oh yeah we figured out like scientifically actually this was like a tyrannosaurus rex and here's what it would have looked like they'd just be like yeah okay like yeah that makes sense i'll add that to my catalog of horrific lizards that existed in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's pretty compatible with it. In fact, in one of these passages, I think it's Hagiga 12a, they kind of explicitly say that you are allowed to contemplate what came before. Mm-hmm. In contrast to that other passage that you've brought, 
maybe more than once about you're not supposed to contemplate what's above and below. Right. If you think about above, below, before or after, you have no share in the world to come. And in that before, after, it's before or after creation. Right. But then there's another sugya that says near it that before in time, which, you know, I guess is maybe a shorter length of time than like before creation, you are allowed to contemplate. So there's explicit permission to ponder. Right. You can think about the land before time, but you just can't think about the land before time. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. This is all stuff that's happened in the past, but there's some contemplation that happens about what's going to happen in the future, which I need to tell you about. Transformers. From Bhava Batra 75A. Okay. Future dinosaurs. There's a verse that says, and I will make you go upright in Leviticus 26.13. And Rabbi Meir says, in the future, the Jewish people will have the stature of 200 cubits, equivalent to two times the height of Adam, the first man, whose height was 100 cubits. So how tall is 200 cubits? Is this like we're going from up into the sky skyscraper level 100 cubits is 45.7 meters uh 150 feet ish i guess got it wow okay yeah very tall we're very tall so jews are gonna get very very big jews are gonna be very big this year we're gonna be the dinosaurs wow And the Talmud goes on to discuss, like, okay, well, like, how are we going to get into the temple? Because we have all these dimensions of the temple. (laughs) Right. We know the measurements of the temple, and we know that it's not made for 150-foot-tall people. And that's why Terry—oh, my God, what's Terry's last name? I was just thinking Terry Gross, but it's definitely not that. (laughs) Oh, T.O.S. Terry. Yeah, T.O.S. Terry. And that's why we had to make the temple into computer so that it would be usable for people of all sizes. That's right. They do come up with some reason, like the measurements of the gate to the temple was actually referring to a window, like kind of like a low window, I guess, from the perspective of a giant Jew in the future. I don't know. They somehow work around the whole temple dimensions thing. Okay. It's going to be a temple TARDIS situation. Yes. So that is what I have for historical takes of Jews on dinosaur-like things. There you go. I love it. I'm basking in it, Michael. Great. I'm so glad. I'm not finished. Okay, great. Take me on a trip on your magic sailing ship. One more thing I wanted to share was this paper that I found called Jurassic Pork, What Could a Jewish Time Traveler Eat? Incredible. Roy Plotnick, Jessica Theodore, and Thomas Holtz Jr. These are modern paleontologists who wrote a paper saying that kosher laws can be used as a pedagogical tool for learning paleontology. Great. They go into excruciating detail that I do not understand about various points in biological history. Mm -hmm. But the basic summary is this. You go back to the Ice Age, There's all sorts of types of mammals that you could eat. Okay. All sorts of big things that we don't need to go into. Probably like the giant sloth if it chewed its own cud. You know, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. If we go back 52 million years, we have Mm -hmm. some kosher fish. We probably have kosher birds. We definitely have crickets. There are mammals, but none that would be kosher. 52 million years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 67 million years ago. So now we're 1 million years before the asteroid hits. 
Mm-hmm. So now we have a bunch of recognizable dinosaurs around. Right. The height of the dinosauric empire. Yes, yes, yes. We have possibly kosher duck and goose relatives. Okay. Some fish would likely be considered kosher and probably crickets as well. Okay. If we go a little bit farther back to like 130 to 200 million years ago, that's when flowering plants start developing. Most of the edible food that is vegetarian that we have comes from flowering plants. So you might not have a lot of options there, but you could potentially live off the uh, plants there. And if you go back 300 10 million years, you're probably totally screwed. There's like nothing you can eat, maybe pine nuts or something like that. And well, that's the trick is you just go far back enough that nothing is kosher and then you can eat anything to survive. Yeah. Well, I was thinking there's this question of if you're the only Jew around, then do the rules apply still like to the kashrut laws? I don't know. I don't know what I happens. I think they when... would still apply even if you were if if there was only one Jew, God forbid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it I guess it depends on why you think we're kosher to begin with. Is it to demarcate ourselves from others, you know, or is it for some metaphysical reason? If you believe the metaphysical reason, then you should keep doing it, but if you're the only person that exists, there's no one to demarcate yourself from. So, you might as well eat a dinosaur potentially yeah i mean i feel like that presumes that you think that the why of the mitzvahs is actually important to begin with right 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 right. there's plenty of approaches to judaism that that don't care about that question or that sort of specifically deny it also i imagine the authors of this paper that you're talking about thought about this but it has been impressioned upon me by the internet that dinosaurs were much more like birds than we like to think. I'm thinking that so few of them are kosher because they're lizards. But what if they're more like birds? Like most birds are kosher. Basically, like the birds you have to avoid are the ones that are like carrion eaters. Yeah, uh, they go into that detail. They go really into deep about birds. Like they're not conservative. They're not fucking around. No, no, no. They consider bats potentially as a potential option of a bird that they could eat, which they vote down. Because maybe in the in Torah, maybe in Talmud, bats are in the bird category. They're like group mm. flying stuff okay. is like considered a, a bird. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a, a potential bird that we could eat, but it's disqualified for various kashrut laws. So they go into a lot of anatomical okay. uh, detail. They're very, very liberal in what they're including in potentially kosher things and very, very precise, I think, as far as I can wow. tell. I'm just imagining this as like a synagogue board meeting of like, imagine the board of your synagogue gets transported 300 million years into the past. This is the meeting of Temple Beth El to consider the issue of what to have at this week's Kiddish. Stacy here would like to bring up the issue of bats. Stacy, you have the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it... Yeah, and that it, it, it was probably like that. Yeah, I think it's just paleontologists having fun, just yeah, having fun. It's great. I love it. If I were transported back any number of million years, I would probably eat whatever. I think God would. That's true. Understand? No, I think probably if there is nothing kosher, then you can eat anything. Like as yeah, a, because survival, you know, life is. You got to give the pregnant woman the juices of the cooked pork if she exactly, desires, like, you know. exactly. And who's more pregnant than a time traveler? Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. I love that paper. I love that someone went out there and made that because I know that's a question that many listeners of ours 
will have pondered in their lifetime. Sure. I need them to write a similar paper on what if you went to a planet with intelligent life that evolved completely differently from ours? You know, what if the categories of bird, lizard, and mammal no longer make sense because you travel to like a gas giant where all life is like neon based, you know, or some shit like that? Yeah, I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind, if we were to have aliens come down, I feel like Mm -hmm. Jews would be like, wait a minute, do like the purity laws apply to them? In which case, could we like use them as like our new, like for you, they could be a very Can the aliens be the priests? Skip the red heifer (laughs) by anointing an alien high priest. It's kind of like a a room temperature superconductor. Third temple purists hate this one crazy trick. (laughs) It would make things go so much smoother, potentially. Oh my God. Uh, Wow. So you heard it here first. We are starting a new cultic order of Judaism, trying to bring about the dissension of the aliens to be our new priests. I think that makes sense to me. Is that all of our dinosaur mishigas for the for the moment? That's what we have. That's what we have. Well, listeners, I hope you got everything you wanted in this answer to your question. I got things I didn't even know I wanted. You know, I laughed, I cried, I ran down the giant's thigh bone until I was completely lost in a dark cave chasing a deer. This was a delight, Michael, and a delightful question. Thank you, listeners, for bringing it. We will continue to make patron episodes, make regular episodes, make love, not war. Thank you all for supporting all of that. And without any further ado, Shavuotov. Shavuotov.